Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Andrea Sangara is the head of marketing at Campari America. Andrea joined Campari in 2020 after over two decades of experience within the alcohol beverage industry, including senior leadership roles across Diageo, Combs Enterprises, and most recently, Moe Hennessy, LVMH. Today, Andrea oversees all facets of marketing for Campari Group's premium portfolio of brands, including Aperol, Campari, Sky Vodka, Espelon Tequila, Grand Marnier, and Wild Turkey. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Andrea gets into her career history, including what it was like to work closely with Sean Combs, or Puff Daddy or Puffy, or Diddy, or I can't keep up anymore, but yes, him. Andrea also explores marketing in a post-COVID world and her key ingredients for powerful earned marketing campaigns. All this and so much more on today's episode of Frictionless Marketing. Without further ado, here is Campari's head of marketing, Andrea Sangara. Andrea, thank you very much for joining us here today. Excited to be with you today, Paul. Looking forward to the conversation. Um, and so are we. Um, I thought we would start maybe with something that is a it's uh, it's personal to you, but it obviously intersects your career as well. Which is you've lived in a lot of different places around the world, and of course you've also marketed a lot of different spirits brands in particular. Um, and spirits is something that obviously is celebrated in a different way in every country. Um, Curious, you know, just to hear your perspective on living internationally and also marketing um, brands that mean so many different things in so many different parts of the world. Um, but just love to hear you talk about your global perspective. Oh, wow. Uh, great question. So, yeah, I've lived in a variety of different places. I'm originally from Vancouver, Canada. Um, I was supposed to you know, diverse approaches to life really early on. My, um, my parents were both born in Canada, but my dad's family's from India and my mom's family's from Germany. So I feel like I grew up, um, enjoying different approaches to life, which I think really nurtured my curiosity and adventurous side. And, and as a result, I sought out these different experiences that you mentioned working internationally, working on a lot of different brands that mean different things internationally. So, um, yeah, went on to live in Madrid for a while, um, South Africa, Colombia, um, then moved down to New York where I am now, spent a little time in California. So global perspective. I mean, I think it's really, it's really shaped how I engage with people. I think um, I really value and I try to make room for diversity of thought. I think it's really important to work with people who have had different experiences who think about challenges and opportunities in different ways. And I have, I have really found that really impactful, interesting ideas come when we can bring people who have different experiences and different ways of thinking together to try to, uh, you know, crack an opportunity, let's say. And I think I bring that with me in everything that I do. I try to build diverse teams that have different experiences. And it's also shaped how I work. I would say I am very, very collaborative. I believe in the strength of the team as opposed to the individual. Um, one of my mantras, which is very, very cheesy, 
but it is, you know, it's together we can do anything. And there's two key components to that together, right? Working with different people, collaborating, getting different points of view together, and then we can do anything. I think my global perspective has also really fueled that. I truly believe, and I've said this to, to my team multiple times, anything is possible. People can make anything happen, you know, and it's evidenced around the world in so many different ways. Um, so it, it, it's, I, I push the boundaries and I enjoy pushing the boundaries and pushing people's thinking um, to, try to, to try to make something extraordinary happen. So it's a big question. That was a little bit all over the place in that answer. No, it's it's a great answer. Um, and, you know, it opened kind of a different door for me, which is you know, when I talk about hiring people, I talk about how we look for the journey. People who've had interesting, complicated, or unexpected journeys, as opposed to the adjectives. You know, um, but there's also a big you know conversation going around creating the environment for people to bring their whole selves to work, to bring their best thinking to work, those kinds of things. So yeah. you, you kind of touched on both there, right? With hiring diverse teams, but then also how do you get the most out of those people? I'm curious, what, you know, do you think one or the other is, is more or less important when it comes to what you call diversity of thought? Is it about getting the right raw material, you know, in the hiring, or is it about getting the most out of people once you have them? Oh, I would say those are both equally important and a great leaders, a great leaders get the most out of the great people that they hire. Um, you brought up something interesting in that question that I feel very passionately about, which is feeling comfortable to bring your whole self to work. Um, I, I strongly believe in that. I try to create a very comfortable, open, approachable environment um, so that people are most at ease. You know, I try to break down hierarchical barriers as much as I can, because um, I think those are some of the conditions that help people feel at ease, that allows them to unleash their full potential, um, which, which, which is how I look at what my job is. You know, excuse me, it's interesting. Um, we're on the tail end of sort of the, the core COVID window. You joined Campari in the height of COVID. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you could say that, um, you know, our relationship with alcohol has changed significantly during that time, whether it was more, you know, off-premise during lockdown, uh, but even now, sort of how do we use on-premise? And in particular, you know, a lot of people are still working from home. They're not commuting and going to happy hour with their, their you know, their companies. I, I mean, what a ride, first of all, for you to have, have had to sort of navigate. But can you talk about, like, what is the phase we're in now? Where do you see this going in the post-COVID spirits market? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you alluded to it. During the pandemic, there was a change in behaviors and behaviors are always changing. I mean, um, we had a lot of people uh, start making cocktails at home that hadn't really done that before. I think that was one of the major changes that we saw. Um, we know consumers have been, you know, we say, quote unquote, drinking better, like they're making more premium choices in the brands and, and really interesting cocktail choices as that continues to grow and become, you know, even more and more sophisticated. Um, and I think we're still seeing people do that, which is wonderful. Um, but I also think people are craving connection and they're craving experiences. So it's really wonderful for our on-premise partners and the entire hospitality industry to see people back out, back enjoying brands, um, not just at home, but still at home, 
but, but now connecting, you know, leveraging the moment, which is what our moment is all about. It's a social convivial moment that brings people together and allows them to enjoy life. And I think we are very much in that phase right now. Just we're based in New York and it, there are people everywhere. And it's, it's just wonderful to see people wanting to connect again, enjoying life beyond the bubble that they, you know, went through COVID with. And I think we're going to, we're going to continue to see that. So, you know, you're going to see our brands showing up where people can connect and enjoy life. We, we show up at a lot of festivals. We do a lot of work with our on-premise accounts. Um, there's so many more events that have now started to come back and we are all working as hard as possible to make these experiences as safe as possible for people. Um, and, and I just feel like as a collective population, we're all taking on that responsibility because we want to be out connecting again. Um, and it's wonderful to be in an industry that helps facilitate that. I, I have to say, there's probably a lot of New Yorkers listening to this that are thinking to themselves, I kind of liked it when there weren't a lot of people on every street corner. Um, <laughs> but you're right, there's definitely the, the positive side of the conviviality. Um, you, you've spoken in the past about the importance of brands creating culture not just like leveraging it or sort of inserting the brand into a cultural moment. Um, so you're talking now about these experiences and you know, how Campari is bringing these experiences um, you know, to people, but can you talk a little bit more about this thinking of creating culture and how does it influence your approach to marketing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a tall order for brands to create culture in all frankness. I think it's people that create culture and, and it's brands that support those people that sort of at times can help realize that and can help us push society and, and different parts of it forward. And, and that's the part that, um, that we like to lean into and that we're exploring, you know, what are those right partnerships that make sense for brands? So one building brands in culture, not leveraging it, not exploiting it, but really supporting it, right. Supporting, um, supporting artists in certain cases, as, as it's been with Campari for over 160 years, as an example. I mean, we've been a patron of the arts for that long of a period of time, and it's something we feel um, a responsibility to do, and we're we're excited to do it because we think society is better off when we're able to, exp- you know, unleash our creativity, um, and artists are able to express their points of view on the world, and um, so creating brands and culture, building brands and culture is one of our, you know, five main marketing priorities here at, um, at Campari. And I'm really proud of the work that the team have done. I think when it comes to film and continuing to do that with Campari, you know, we've just, we started sponsoring the Cannes Film Festival. We've been sponsoring the Venice Film Festival and the New York Film Festival for quite some time. We just kicked off last week, a partnership with the Academy Museum. So leaning back into, you know, what we feel accountability and responsibility for, we were just sponsoring their exhibit of Regeneration, a look back at Black cinema, um, 1898 through to 1971. And I think that's a great example of of how we want our brands to support um, revealing, um, highlighting important parts of culture that help ideally push us all forward together as a society. Um, Sky Vodka is another example. I think Sky Vodka is is a a brand that's made with water, enhanced with uh, Pacific minerals from the San Francisco Bay, which is where we're from. And we now have a partnership with the Ocean Foundation. And part of our mission and our purpose is to help support, you know, ensuring we have clean water for a long, sustainable period of time for 
uh, for those of us on the earth. So those are just a couple of examples, um, but happy to talk about some more. Well, those are great. And I would love, there's one in particular, I'd love to hear you talk about, and then looking back this idea of people and culture as it relates to spirits, but, but um, so you guys created, it was Fellini Forward, which, right, which yes. was a short film created with artificial intelligence, right, with AI um, to celebrate Federico Fellini. Is that, do I have that right? You, you have that right. Yeah, it's a really creative project. Um, we partnered with Federico Fellini uh, back in the 1980s, I believe, for, for a campaign project. And we worked actually together with his niece, to and, and um, a company called Unit 9, who used new technology to try to, um, it, to try to create a film that lived by Federico Fellini's standards. So the intelligent, um, the artificial intelligence essentially amalgamated all the learnings from all of his work and um, working together with that group created a piece of work built off of you know, what, what it would be like to be inspired by different key elements of, of Federico Fellini. You can still see this on, on Amazon Prime. It is a really, really interesting example of um, how, do we pu- how do we push cinema forward, right? How do we think and push boundaries in an area that we're passionate about, um, always thinking about, you know, what, what the future could offer. But it's this marriage between creativity and innovation um, leveraging, you know, today's technology to see what that could look like. And it was a really, really interesting project. I mean, it sounds very interesting and I'm definitely going to go check it out myself. Um, now, now I'm taking off my interested consumer hat and I'm putting on my cynical marketer hat. And I'm asking <laughs> okay. how, so how does something like that, how does a project like that, as cool as it is, how does that drive the brand? And, and is it something that you can measure in the sort of traditional sense, or is it something that you got to take a bit of a leap of faith that it's going to drive value for the brand? The ultimate brand building question, isn't it, Paul? Um, (laughs) Right? How do you choose what you do and how do you measure its impact? I think we feel at Campari, again, over 160 years of supporting the arts. So I think we're very comfortable taking risks, exploring new projects, in that space. I think it's important to us to continue that legacy for the brand. Um, and, and I think once we, once we identified what the project would look like, it just felt very natural for the brand to move into that, to, to take a leap and, and support this project. I also think it's a good oh, example going back to, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, just, it makes complete sense. You have that heritage, right? You have that brand yes. heritage. This is a very modern way of tapping into that. I think that's really interesting. Um, yes. So a few minutes ago, I said I wanted to come back to this, right? A few minutes ago, you said, like, it's really a high bar for brands to create culture. It's people that create culture. Yeah. And of course, um, you have um, a very storied career in the tequila market, having marketed Don Julio and other tequila brands. Um, and tequila is at this point bordering on infamous, you know, in the, le- in the number of celebrities that mm. have launched their own between Michael Jordan, Kendall Jenner, George Clooney, Eva Longoria, Chain Spokers, Adam Levine, Mark Wahlberg. There's, there's celebrity, The Rock has one. There's celebrity tequilas everywhere. How is that impacting um, the way you think about the role of celebrity in marketing a brand that's not owned by a celebrity? Um, and do you think this is going to continue or is this just a moment in time? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I would say it's beyond tequila, it's beyond beverage alcohol. And you look at the influence of celebrity across so many facets of our lives, it's quite remarkable what's happening at this point in time when it comes to celebrity influence. So I, I think it's I think it's here to stay for some time. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves, but it, it feels like we're at a peak here in terms of the role and the influence it can have over so many facets of our lives. Um, the role in beverage alcohol, it garners you immediate awareness, right? That is, and it can be a short-term play, um, but I think you really need to work at building a brand, even if you have a celebrity, for it to be more than that. For it to be a long-term sustainable brand and business, it has to be more than just the celebrity. The celebrity is a nice way to garner a lot of attention, a lot of interest, and a lot of trial, but the product needs to have legs and um, beyond the celebrity for it to resonate and be chosen over and over again by, you know, by different parts of the population. So there's a lot of pros to it. You know, the cons come with, I think, things that you are, are likely already aware of, right? Like depending on how closely you tie your brand to that celebrity, it can, it can usurp the identity of the brand. So there's a lot of things to consider in terms of if you want to work with a celebrity or not, and then who you choose to work with is such a big, big decision. I'm a big fan of working with people that authentically already like and enjoy your product. Um, I think you can tell when that's not the case. Um, and uh, you just want to be in it together with somebody. So here to stay, I think we'll see more of it. And I think the success depends on how, um, on how engaged those partners are together. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I have to, I have to open this door of your <laughs> career. You know, it looks really like it's like all these big household name companies, luxury brands, you know, Diageo and Campari and, um, you know, um, LVMH. And then you've got that stint where for a couple of years you went to work for P. Diddy. Mm -hmm. um, Sean Combs, right? Yeah. So we're talking about celebrity and, and you obviously have a very unique perspective on having worked now actually for, you know, a celebrity enterprise. Um, can you talk about what that was like and, you know, I guess maybe some learnings or even uh, would you do it again, knowing what you know now and those kinds of things? <laughs> um, it was a phenomenal experience. Now, in all fairness, I had worked with him previously, even though I was at Diageo um, on Ciroc. And, and building that brand uh, together with him and his team. And then it was a decision to, to decide to move over and, and work directly with him. And it was a big pendulum swing, huge. You're going from structured, matrixed organization to you know, working with a visionary and an entrepreneur, um, very connected to culture. So I, I wanted to get out of the boardroom and I wanted to be closer connected to culture. And I, I got that and I got that in spades. And I think um, I definitely learned a lot. I, I, I learned a ton. I mean, he is, he's a visionary, he's an entrepreneur, he's an executive, he creates culture. Great example of somebody who has created some phenomenal blueprints for, um, you know, for different businesses on how to be engaged in culture. Um, would I do it again? I would, I would do it again. For the right opportunity, and uh, you know, in the in, you never know what life throws you. Um, but I am genuinely really enjoying where I am right now. 
and, uh, and being able to lead uh, a wonderful team working collaboratively with people here in the US and across the world and our global teams to, to create these wonderful, wonderful brands that engage with a variety of different communities um, you know, around the US. But really interesting experience, gives you a different perspective. I think for me, it was also really interesting because I worked on those businesses on the Diageo side, and then I came to work on those businesses from the Comb side. So it was really, really interesting um, in terms of like general management perspective um, in terms of, of running those businesses. Uh, and I would encourage people to do unexpected things in their career. because so I think it, it lends a perspective similar to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation on you know, traveling a lot or, you know, immersing yourself in different international experiences, those really enhance your perspective as does different um, employer and, and, and employer type of engagements. So you said a few things earlier that I feel like made it um, apparent, you know, that you run a team that um, a lot of people would want to work at. And then now, you know, you've, uh, you've referenced again how great your team is. So if somebody listening right now you know, aspired to become a member of your team. What are the things that you're looking for? I am looking for passionate, curious, driven people that want to make an impact on the world that are passionate about marketing or growing in marketing. Um, people that are interested in collaborating across functions. So, you know, one of the things I talk to my team about is, you know, being great collaborative cross-organizational leaders. Um, it's important that we have great relationships with all the different departments that we understand, you know, how people are feeling about our brands and how we're operating with our brands um, so that we have a pulse on opportunities and challenges and we can lead driving solutions. I think that's another big component of what I try to instill in my team, like lead, be the leader in terms of the conversations we want to have in our businesses and then engage Whoever we need to engage internally and externally to help us um, to help us identify those opportunities and realize them, or the challenges and, and to solve those. Well, I, I have to admit it does sound both um, inspiring, but also like a high bar. So um, I, I think I can see why you have a great team. Um, so we we um, you know, we're big believers in this idea of earned creative. This is where we're starting to get a little bit more um, academic, you know, about the business of marketing. Um, but the idea of earned creative being you know, brands doing things worth talking about as opposed to um, thinking with ads, you know, as a sort of central um, part of the way that they, they bring their marketing, you know, to the world. Um, Charlie, what are your thoughts on earned creative and sort of the, you know, the role for it? Um, you know, in, in a marketing mix? I think it's critical. Um, it is such an important part of how we think about how to bring our brands to life. Um, I think you need to be really, really clear about what your brand stands for, who you are as a brand, what matters to you, what are the things you want to be a part of in society and in culture, and then really understanding what matters to your consumer, what do they care about, um, and then what is actually being talked about, what is topical and, um, and out there so that that makes sense for us to be a part of the conversation. I, I very much believe in, you know, this goes back to building brands and culture, embedding them into the zeitgeist. Um, you know, how do we authentically integrate into the right places that bring to life who we are as a brand so that more people can discover us? 
um, in you know really authentic and organic ways. And I think that's what earned media is all about. Um, you know, I, I love a great ad. I they they have a role to play. They will always be a part of the mix. Um, I think it reinforces you know what your brand's about. Um, but it's very much one part of the mix uh, for us. Really understanding what we want to support and, and be a part of a conversation that matters to us, that makes sense for the brand. And that also our consumers talk about is really, you know, the magical, magical overlay of, uh, of those uh, circles on the Venn diagram that, that we all strive for. All right. So speaking of this Venn diagram that we're striving for, so you've, you've talked about understanding people and audiences and, We've also talked about integrating into culture. Um, these things feel very right brain to me. They feel very, you know, it's like amorphous. It's it's intuition. Mm. It's, you know, it's human. But of course, we're also in the era of big data, AI, you know, analytics-led, data-driven, et cetera, et cetera. How do you merge those two, you know, ways of working or trains of thought? I mean, I'm a believer in art and science, Paul. I, I think you don't, creativity can be driven by clearly understanding, you know, data and analytics. And I think as, as we all know, we are living in a world where more and more data is available to us, right? So how are we understanding how people currently engage with us, what they think of us, um, and how are we being really creative about then engaging with them leveraging all of the, you know, more uh, other brained um, mediums and tools available to us. I think they're both a critical part of, of being successful in marketing and being a successful marketer is understanding both of those things and, and bringing them together in the most effective way. And of course, that is, it's almost an art in itself, right? Is, yeah, uh, is how you bring the two things together. Absolutely. Because people, you know, most of us are more naturally inclined one way or the other. There's some, there's some amazing um, people out there and I'm lucky enough to have so many of them on my team that, that do bridge, you know, that do bridge that and are able to bring those things together so that we're leveraging the information to be as creative, as impactful as possible. So one other, I know we're, we're getting close on time here. I right? got one other thing that I, 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 another door I want to open since we keep opening doors here today um, is in the beverage industry. It feels like recently, in recent years, um, bringing new products to market has been in itself sort of the not just the means, the ends, but the ends itself, right? The, the marketing itself with ready to drink um, cocktails and sort of, uh, you know, new license, you know, licensed um, bottles and, you know, things like that, where you're, you're actually introducing products that are themselves sort of the story. Um, do you see that continuing? Again, is that something that you feel like is, um, has been a phase? Um, or is it like this branded merch and product as marketing is where we're all going? I think, I mean, when I hear you give, those examples, what I'm hearing is innovation, right? Like, are we going to be innovating in the category or we're going to be um, offering new and different things? I, I think that has always been a part of this industry. So I, I absolutely believe that that will continue. I think what's always evolved and changed is the shape that those innovations take. 
right? I think to your point, we're seeing a lot more licensing, those types of examples, and maybe perhaps we have in the past. Um, and we've just gone through like a really big RTD boom um, that, is, that is pretty clear and evident. And, you know, those things ebb and flow over time. You can look back and, and, and see that. So I don't think it's a moment in time. I think, I think we have a lot of interesting people working across a variety of different companies in this industry that are thinking about how do I do things differently to have more of an impact um, in the world and with my brand. So frankly, I'm excited about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, what we do and, you know, and what others do. Well, and it certainly makes every trip to the, the grocery or the liquor store more interesting as opposed to just seeing the same <laughs> five things every time you walk in, you know? We're happy we're able to do that for, for consumers. And I, I totally agree with you. I think people are working hard to keep it fresh. All right. We're keeping it fresh. And you know what? I got to say, that seems to be a theme you know, throughout this whole conversation is keeping it fresh, whether that's through the celebrity lens, the cultural lens, um, the new innovation and product um, introduction lens, um, keeping it fresh. Um, so Andrea, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. We really appreciated you coming on the show here and sharing some of your insights. Um, and, uh, and, and we're looking forward to seeing more from Campari. Well, really honored that you guys reached out to have this conversation. Really enjoyed it. So thanks so much for that. Um, and yeah, keep your eyes on our brands. There's a lot of exciting, fun things coming coming out from them. We absolutely will. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Andrea. Number one, global perspectives yield better communications. Andrea stated that impactful, interesting ideas come from when we bring different people with different backgrounds and different experiences together to try to crack an opportunity, which is a great guideline. Diversity of thought and experience enables well-rounded teams as well as well-rounded comms functions. Considering that the main goal of any comms campaign is to effectively reach and influence an audience, the best path forward is for your message to be informed and crafted by multiple perspectives to enable your messages to be more universal and therefore more impactful. Number two, marry legacy with new technology. Decades ago, Italian filmmaker Federico Fellini did an ad campaign with Campari, and to pay homage to that partnership, Campari recently created a short film on Fellini using AI technology. The intelligence in Campari's execution was in how they honored their legacy ad campaigns, but modernized them by using today's technology, in this case with AI. Digging deep into the archives of your brand's previous campaigns and modernizing them with today's tech can lead to new perspectives on older ideas and some very interesting and breakthrough marketing ideas. Number three, yield the formula for earned marketing. As an agency, Lippy Taylor is a big believer in earned marketing. The idea that brands have to earn a place in culture by doing real things in the real world to attract and earn real attention instead of just running ads. When asked about earned marketing, Andrea brilliantly broke down the equation she and her team at Campari think through in order to crack an earned marketing campaign. She stated that the foundation of earned marketing is knowing what you stand for as a brand, knowing what your consumer cares about, and observing what is being talked about. Brilliant earned marketing campaigns can occur at the nexus of these three ideals, so consider this in your next brainstorming session. 
Anyway, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Frictionless Marketing, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor, that's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.